Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud with me, your host, Jackie Shea. This is a place to relate to the darkest days and be inspired by ultimate triumph. Each week, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on, highly informed about something new, and connected to a tribe of amazing humans. Because the only way out is through, but it helps to have a tribe walking with you. Hi everyone, happy new week, happy Monday. Uh, As this episode becomes available, I am in Hawaii, hopefully just hiking a dope Maui trail or relaxing on a beach. Check out my Instagram at Jackie for all sorts of Maui fun. I choose to thoroughly enjoy these luxuries today. I know what it's like to be a prisoner in my body, trapped in all sorts of traumas, and that's what we talk about this week. I brought on Mary Beth Eversole, the creator of a new series called Invisible Wounds, which explores healing from all sorts of traumas. Mary Beth is an amazing addition to the Healing Out Loud tribe. She has come through multiple traumas from bullying to severe anorexia and car accidents. We get into all of this and how she's persevered through these adver- over these adversities. Check out the show notes for more info. Follow me at Jackie on Instagram for weekly challenge updates. This week, it's to nap. Take 20-minute naps during the day. It sounds easy, but it's pretty hard. (laughs) Uh, Check out JackieShay.com for more of the services I provide and more of what I'm about. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shay Facebook group. All right, you guys, let's hit this week's episode. Hi everyone. Woohoo. Happy Monday. I'm so excited to welcome my guest this week, Mary Beth Eversole, an actress, voiceover artist, musician, and content creator. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being on the Healing Out Loud podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. So happy to be here. You're pretty much the perfect fit. You've kind of made your life about this. You, you've become quite, quite passionate about healing out loud from trauma. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. And you have a series coming out called Invisible Wounds on, on this topic. Uh, you're on a mission to break the stigmas around trauma. So tell me what inspired you to create this series, Invisible Wounds, and tell me more about it. Sure. Um, so the inspiration actually uh, came from a, a couple different avenues. Um, I've been told by various people over my adult life that I should write my life story because it's been full of a lot of trauma. <laughs> and um, I, I seem to be one of the people that has been able to, um, you know, I struggle, but then get through it and heal. And, you know, I, I, have gained a lot of insights along my healing journey. And, you know, I feel very confident in sharing with others and kind of giving them a path that they can turn to and and some resources that they can turn to through sharing my own story. Um, And that's also part of, you know, the trauma, the first step to healing from trauma is sharing your own story. So the, um, the people that said, you know, you should write about this. um, And I was like, Oh yeah. And I, I have written, an actual memoir, but I haven't published it. And then I was watching, um, to the bone on Netflix and it's about, it's a movie about anorexia. And, you know, I've watched several films about anorexia before. And, and I was just like, I just felt like they never actually showed, they showed a lot of the actions, um, that the person would take. They showed, you know, the family dynamic, but they never actually 
you know, touched on the topic of what was actually going on in the person's head and why this disorder happened, why they think the way they did. Um, and that was that was a key point to my family and I healing from my eating disorder um, and uh, my family and I healing our dynamics um, between each other was knowing what led to it and what was going on inside my head, you know. Um, so after I watched that movie, I literally sat there and was like, I, I should I should write about this, this, maybe I should write a screenplay or something. And then it was there. It was just like, boom, there. Um, it started as a short film. And, um, as I gained more team members, um, in the form of, you know, like prosthetics person, the, um, the creators basically, and the producer and all of that, it, it developed into this much larger project of a series based on trauma and healing um, because people started writing in their stories about their traumas and how they were healing from it to our Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter pages. Um, and then I had friends emailing me from high school and before that I hadn't talked to in years and they were sharing their stories with me through email. And, you know, it was just, I was just like, okay, this is a much bigger thing than me. And, um, this series, we, we need to make this series, um, just so that we can, you know, bring this viewpoint of what's happening inside the mind of the traumatized person. And the series itself happens, um, partially in reality and partially in the mind of the traumatized person, which is a much more cinematography kind of, you know, um, imagined world, where they're battling their trauma and they're, they're fighting to gain back a little bit of control of their life. So um, it's an exciting series. The first episode is based on my life and my struggles with uh, anorexia and body dysmorphia because of various traumas that I had. Um, I was bullied at a parent that um, had an undiagnosed mood, sorry, undiagnosed um, mental disorder um, and I was uh, sexually assaulted um, a couple times. Um, and those are just a few of the traumas. There's, there were others that led to the eating disorder. And then after that led to the aftermath of um, moving into drugs and then finally starting to heal. And then when this Me Too movement came up, that's when the sexual assaults came back full full blown memory. I've been holding on to that forever. So, so it inspired me to write. And then these stories that were written into us, I was just like, I can, I have to, I have to write about these stories. And so I wrote six more episodes based on the stories that were written into us. So amazing. And some of them, can you just give us an example of one of those stories? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. So one of them is the wartime trauma. Um, a, it was based on a couple of my friends. So some some of them are based on several stories, and then I just create a protagonist. Some are based on one. Um, the wartime trauma is based on two of my friends sharing their story, and the protagonist um, loses his entire unit. And he was the head of the unit, and he he falls into a deep depression and then alcoholism. And it's about his struggle to come back from being an alcoholic and acknowledging the war, t- the wartime trauma, and the fact that there was nothing he could do. He he could he wouldn't have been able to do anything different and have a different outcome. The interesting episode that I'm I'm excited to uh, work on is about a, a woman. She came in to do modeling for us with our Instagram campaign. Um, which was taking photos of people and and putting words of what their trauma was, what their healing force was, and what their current state of mind was. 
And she came in and shared her story and wrote it down on the paper we gave them about how she had been harassed in high school for wearing her hijab so much so that she was terrified for her life and stopped wearing it. She became deeply depressed because she felt like she wasn't um, she wasn't uh, acknowledging her religion in the way that she wanted to. She feels like the women that can wear their hijabs are making strong feminist you know, points that, that they can do this and not be scared. And she was crying when she shared her story with me. I was sitting there with her and I, you know, I invited her to just come to uh, an event I was having that was a small group of friends. And I said, you could, you could try wearing your hijab there and, you know, cause everyone is safe there. And she just, she just was crying and just said, I can't, I can't, I, I moved here. I moved across the country to see if I could wear it because I felt like people might be more open here, but I'm just so terrified for my life. I can't do it. And it's, um, and then it's about the process that she has been taking with her family and friends to try to honor her religion again by wearing the hijab and, and making that statement without feeling like she's going to be murdered. Wow. So, <laughs> wow, that's so intense. Yeah. And, you know, here on this show, we talk a lot about healing from trauma, uh, as a way to beat illness because the thing about trauma is that it does create all sorts of physical illnesses as you know absolutely and so yep. we talk a lot about healing trauma talk about the book the body keeps the score we talk about the aces study we talk about all different ways to heal from emdr to somatic um healing and and yeah you know it's all it's all so important but we rarely i haven't really been able at this point to talk about just trauma and this week and next week that's what we're talking about so yeah um yours did absolutely come out as you mentioned uh physically so you from the bullying you had and the sexual assault and and the undiagnosed mental illness in your in your family you ended up with a severe eating disorder tell me first a little bit about the bullying and how it played into to your eating disorder so the bullying is, it was kind of the spark that started the disordered thoughts when I was young. Um, Cause my disorder showed up around eight years old and it became full blown around 12 years old. Um, and I was hospitalized when I was 15. So um, the bullying had started when I was younger in elementary school um, and it followed me all the way, all the way through high school until I just basically stopped I just ignored it. Like I just stopped caring what they were doing. So, I um, mean, it was because I was smart um, and I was also pretty. So, um, and you know, for some reason people think those two things shouldn't go together, um, especially if it's another girl that feels threatened. So um, it was all girls that did the bullying and it's so sad. <laughs> it makes me very sad when I think about it. Um, we have a hard enough time. We need to build each other up. Um, but it was uh, the initial bullying came from a girl who um, was very threatened by me. You know, I always was getting the best tests and the scores. And I never I never wanted anyone to know about those test scores. But like my teachers would say, oh, my gosh, you know, someone got 100 percent. And then they'd say my name. And one teacher made me stand up while she was saying it. And I was just mortified because I was just like, I'm going to be destroyed for this, you know, and, and, uh, I was, you know, and th this girl happened to also be in my gymnastics team outside of school. 
And my name at the time was Mary Beth Dalkey, D-A-L-K-E. And for some reason, she just decided that Muddy Butt Donkey would be a better name for me. I think I was eight or nine when she started this nickname for me. Um, and like she got the whole school, she got the whole school to call, call me that. And it got so bad that by fifth grade, I was, I was, I didn't want to come out of the bathroom. I didn't want to be in the class. I was purposely trained to fail so that I wouldn't get good grades. Um, and I had to, and like, she was, this girl was, was quite vicious, you know, and had turned a lot of the girls against me and some of the boys, um, on the, on the playground and all. And it sounds all like, Oh, it's just fun and games. It's not like words really are painful. Um, and, and the way that she would say it was so vicious. Um, and, and like now when I look back at it and I'm like, okay, clearly she had stuff going on in her life that probably was so painful. She had to take it out on someone else, but it did its damage. I don't know that I found solace in theater and music. And that's kind of where I found my tribe in middle and high school, but it was, it was rough. And then I had, you know, my family dynamics happening, um, and I think it was just like the perfect storm of, of crazy <laughs> that so was it, led to it. So then you ha- you started to control your eating or you stopped eating it around eight years old? Um, so I started to control it. And I think part of it had to do with the fact that I have food allergies and they were not they were not diagnosed at the time. But I was sick a lot of the time as a child, especially with um, digestive issues and sinus issues. Um and like very, very sick, like five sinus infections a year that would keep me out of school. And then, you know, they, my, I, my family kept thinking I had the stomach flu and I was having diarrhea every day, like, and I had stomach pains and like nobody thought to test me for food allergies. And so I just started cutting foods out myself just because I was getting sick. I noticed I would get sick when I would eat certain foods. So like I first became a vegetarian because I noticed that meat was making me feel super sick. Um, and then I cut out eggs and then I cut out, um, fish and, um, you know, I knew that I had a anaphylactic response to shellfish, so I didn't ever eat that. Um, and then from there, it just became more about control. At first it was about just not feeling sick. And then it became, when I felt like the rest of my life was going out of control, that's when it really became controlling the food. Um, and that was around eight, nine years old. And then by 12, all the family crap was happening and, you know, and that's when it just became totally full blown. So tell us about the full blown. What are the feel? What are the feelings? What 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 does a day in the life look like? So a day in the life of an anorexic that's full blown. Um, basically, you're doing everything you can to not feel. Um, when and in reality, your feelings are so strong and painful that you there's just no way that you can acknowledge them and and be able to function. So, um. So for me, a lot of it, a lot of what came out later was anger and fear, um, fear of fear of being too successful because then I'd get bullied or fear of not being enough because, you know, the expectations were that I was a smart kid and I should get good grades, et cetera. Um, I was a ballerina dancer. So there was a perfectionist streak in there, um, which runs in the family and anxiety, you know, so I was a day in the life. I would wake up. I mean, I would dream about being chased by monsters holding needles that were trying to inject me with calories. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep because of it. And so I would kind of just lay there and thinking about that. And then I would start thinking about food. And the first thing I would do is count my calories 
And it wasn't counting calories of food I ate. It was making a list. Like I would just make lists and lists and lists of foods and the calories they were and what I would plan to eat that day. And then I would cut that list in half and then I would cut it in half again. And I'd post them. I'd, I'd draw them in a way so that my parents wouldn't know what they were and I'd post them around my room so that they were like goals for the day of like, okay, yesterday you had 1200 calories. So today you're only going to have 600 calories. And then yesterday you had 600. So you're only going to have 300. And we got to a point where I was eating a hundred calories a day if I ate. And that was basically in the form of green beans cut up into tiny pieces. And then I would chew a hundred times before I'd swallow one piece. Um, and, you know, so I'm not going to go a ton into it just because if there are any people that are actively anorexic out there, they will take that and they will use that. So got um, it. Gotcha. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was that. And then there was just there was so much physical pain because I was so thin that I could feel my bones when I would sit, you know, and I had a rubber band that was on my wrist. And if it didn't go all the way up to my um, bicep and fit, then I wouldn't eat that day, you know, like wow. and this, I had all these mechanisms to check like what without actually weighing myself to check what it was. Numbers are a huge thing in anorexia. Um, calorie numbers, the amount of things you do to work out, the counts you do to chew, the counts you do for like the amount of number of jumping jacks, you know, how many hours have you slept? How many hours have you been awake? Um, you know, and it's just, it was like endless numbers. Those, that's still a trigger for me. I had a trigger the other day from a number and it, it sent me into a spiral I haven't gone into in 15 years. And it was just insanity. And it was because I equated that number with the idea of being overweight. I'm not overweight, but cholesterol runs in my family and I got a high cholesterol number back. And Mm -hmm. my doctor, not knowing any difference between how to tell an anorexic that they have high cholesterol and how to tell a regular person is that you don't tell them the number. You just say, you know, your cholesterol is a little high. Let's work on this. It's clearly not anything you're doing because you're a vegan and you work out. It's your family, you know? So, um, but instead she was just like, this is the number we need to get this down. And it totally sent me into a spiral. And I, you know, I've had other things in my life currently going on that are a little bit overwhelming. So like just that was enough to click it, you know, and the difference between now and back then was that I have a lot of tools in place to help me. I've been through therapy. I've got a support system. So I just reached out to them and they helped me. But back then my support system was imploding. My, my family was imploding and, um, and so I was able to slip through the cracks. They didn't notice. They for didn't a long notice. Time. Okay. So eventually yeah. they did notice. And what about teachers? Oh, and I'm wondering, did the being a ballerina and being in the dance community, did that mm-hmm. add to this yeah. caloric count? Ab- absolutely. Yes. And with the thing the crazy thing is though that I got so thin that even the dancers were going to the instructor and saying she's too thin. She can't dance. I had a friend who danced with me and she actually stopped the class one day and yelled at the teacher because the teacher was telling me to, um, to pick it up, to get going faster. And this was like right before I was hospitalized. So I I was probably around 80 pounds at this point and, you know, trying to do a ballet combination across the floor. Of course, I'm not going to be able to do that. I could barely breathe or walk. And, 
you know, and, and my friend just stopped in the middle of class and started screaming at the teacher. And she was just like, don't you see her? Don't you see? You see the gap between her legs? That's not normal. Like, you know, and wow. but even that was just like, please stop talking about me. I don't want to I don't want people to see. Um, yeah. So my parents, they were the last to know. I mean, and it's one of those where you're just like with them every day. So you don't really notice. And part of it was they were in denial. They didn't want to acknowledge that they're perfect little daughter had a problem of course um so by the end you were you were (coughs) 69 pounds at 5 8 and 15 years old uh 14 and then I turned 15 in the hospital or just yeah I was 15 okay in the hospital so so. you're 15 you're 69 pounds you're 5 8 your heart's stopping in the middle of the night right like you're not um you're absolutely dying and (laughs) And this is when you go to the hospital and when you look in the mirror at this point, what do you see? I see a 300 pound girl. I Mm. mean, and it's, there's no way to, there is no, and I know that that like I can see pictures of myself now and be like, oh wow, you know, but no, I saw, I saw a huge person with sagging skin and just fat rolls and cellulite and like I would grab that area on my body and feel the bones and still think that it was fat. So do you believe that body dysmorphia and anorexia do you believe that it comes now this is not I'm not asking you like you know the answer. I'm asking what right. you you believe. <laughs> Do you yeah. believe that it's something a person is born with or that it's born out of circumstances in your life? You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And just just in the research that I've done on trauma and things like that, I believe perfectionism is something that you can be born with. Um, well, no, I don't even know if I believe that. I think it's something that's modeled to you. I, I now know that a lot of the patterns that I picked up were patterns that my mother had or my father had. And, you know, and that they kind of, um, unbeknownst to them, they projected that onto me and I took it on as my own. Um, they're both perfectionists um, and, they, and they've and they calmed down since then because we've all been through therapy. But at the time, you know, they were, they were, both perfectionists, they were both having high expectations for both daughters to do well, you know, in school and things and whatever they did. They were wonderful parents, they were loving parents, but it was just like there was this this level of anxiety within the household that existed from as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, just because they were so hard on their own selves and that just kind of went to us. So I guess my answer is it might be partly because it's a learned thing. Um, you know, it's, it's like, and it's any, like any other addiction, it's something that, um, is a control and coping mechanism. Um, but with, with anorexia, most frequently it's coupled with depression, anxiety, or both. And, um, I know that depression and anxiety can run in a family, can run in the genes, you know, and the question of can, can anorexia and bulimia, I don't know. Um, I know I had a family member that was anorexic. She was an aunt. So, um, but nobody ever talked about it. Right. um, It's so hard to know. I mean, because for me, it's like I have, I have all the family trauma, very, very intense. And I lived in terror. I lived in terror from the ages of like zero to eight. And I don't like mine came out so differently than yours did, you know, like 
I would never, I actually tried to be anorexic because I try, <laughs> because I try, I wanted to control things. I did try, um, but it yeah. just didn't, you know, so mine came out with, with drinking and drug use and, um, and other, and, and sex. Like it came out yeah. in just these different ways. But so I, I'm always sort of fascinated by that, by how differently people react to, to their circumstances. So I was wondering what your thoughts were. And again, of course, we don't have an answer. We don't, well, no, we don't yeah. know. But I was just wondering what, what your thoughts were about it because. Well, yeah. yeah. And what's, what's interesting is mine morphed. You know how some addictions, they can morph. And of course, when I was, when I was being watched like a hawk by my family and my friends after I came out of the hospital, I didn't have a coping mechanism anymore. And I didn't, I had not been in therapy long enough to have built up healthy coping mechanisms before I got thrown back into the dynamics I was a part of before um, in school and at home. And I turned to drugs, alcohol, and sex. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, like it comes you know, out for at some a few point. more years. Yeah. Right. Totally. I mean, it's not funny, but I get it. Yeah. But <laughs> of I, th course. I think I know that the, I know that the running uh, streak through anorexia is perfectionism and anxiety. Um, it's it's one of the highest levels of anxiety aside from PTSD that a person can have with a mental disorder. So I believe, you know, I think that probably people who develop anorexia as opposed to bulimia do it because uh, it's what they've been modeled, perfectionism, you know. Interesting. Um, whereas with bulimia, I've had so many bulimics tell me I tried to be anorexic, but I didn't have the self-control. And it's like, wait, I tried to be bulimic and I could not make myself throw up. So thank you very much. Like, right. right. Self-control, like, right. um, you know, and I, but it's different because a lot of times bulimics are much more extrovert and, you know, they don't appear to be sick because they're, you know, they're binging and purging. So they are getting some nutrients. So it's not evident when they are sick until they are super sick. Right. Um, you know, whereas with an anorexic, it's kind of just, you, you just make a, I just chose, you know, I was just like, I'm not going to eat this. Yeah. And that was that, you know? So. Yeah. And man, man, we're all lucky that you're alive. So you, <laughs> so what happened in the hospital and, and how did you heal from that kind of anorexia, that level? Yeah. So, um, there's not a lot that I remember from that time. Um, some of it is stories that my family told me, other, my friends that visited there's, I have some memories that stick out, um, like the first day I arrived, I know they tried to get me to eat a lasagna and I threw it across the room mm -hmm. <laughs> at the wall and screamed at the nurse that I didn't even know. Um, and then she brought in Inchur and she forced me to drink it um, because she was and she was saying, honey, and she was doing it gently. But she was like, honey, you're not going to make it through the night if you don't get something in you. And like. I remember thinking, that's my intention, bitch. Like, <laughs> like seriously, like, right. um, and so the first two weeks I was there, I was on bed rest. Um, I wasn't even allowed to lift my legs above my heart because it burns more calories, apparently. Um, like a nurse would come by and yell at me if my feet were above my heart. And I knew that. So I would lay down and put my feet up and try to until they would come by, you know, and while they weren't there for the first week I was there, I had to leave my door open. Um, door closed was a level of trust that you gain. My door was open and I would be on the bed and I'd be wanting to do something. And so I would just go to sit up in bed and like instant they're there. Don't sit up. 
you know, and I had I had to be helped to the bathroom and they were monitoring my input and my output as far as the bathroom goes, like what was coming out, what was going in. They had to do that um, to see if I how dehydrated I was, et cetera, things like that. Um, you know, and I, I fought so hard against it. You know, what's interesting is I kind of gave in when I was being interviewed to be put into the hospital because it was a cry for help, you know, but then once I was in there, God, I fought tooth and nail. I mean, I, I fought so hard. I should say my eating disorder fought so hard to not improve. And in fact, like, um, I got abusive towards myself. Like I stabbed myself with a pin and, you know, things like that to, to try to get the emotions out, you know, in still harmful way. Cause I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. And so, the first two weeks, I just remember the girls coming, the other girls in the wing, because this was a specific eating disorder unit in a hospital. And so it was only people with eating disorders in this wing. Um, and I just remember the girls who had been there. Like there was one named Krista who'd been there for like a month already. And like I just I looked up to her so much because she was she was someone who was on the tail end of starting to uh, getting over and starting to heal from the eating disorder, like really heal from it. Um, it had been like her third visit to the hospital, but she still was like, this time I'm going to make it stick. Cause I want to have a life. And I just looked up to her and I just remember she would draw me pictures and put them on my wall so I could see things. And some, you know, another girl brought in a song and was like, this is our theme song, you know? And it was interesting to watch because the anorexics would stay for a very long time, like months. Um, but the bulimics would go in and out. Like I saw one bulimic come in and out of the hospital three times before I was dismissed. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to group sessions. Um, what hospital were you at? Uh, this was Baptist medical. It doesn't exist anymore. It was in Kansas city. Oh, okay. Um, but they had, they had one of the top eating disorder units in the nation at the time. Okay. Um, and so, and I, I credit them for, for getting me on the right foot to start healing. How long were you, how long were you there start to finish? So I was inpatient for a month and I was outpatient for a month, um, for two months. And the thing that helped most during that time was therapy with your family, correct? Um, Yeah, therapy with my family, therapy with the therapist one-on-one. And then I do have to say that once I started talking and allowing myself to, to hear what other people were saying, the group sessions did help. They were my most unfavorite because I didn't want to share with anyone. And I was, you know, the first two weeks I was there, I just, I wasn't, the first week I was there, I wasn't allowed to go because I was burning too many calories. The second week I went and I was, I just tried to feign indifference. Like I was just yawning and bored and I would just like try to sleep and, you know, ignore everything that everyone was saying. Cause I just didn't, I, that's how badly I did not want to feel right anything. So, um, and then eating was ridiculous. The, the feeding time was was ridiculous. Right. So, so was, so the, the healing, when you started opening up and speaking, do you remember any of the things that you would say? I don't. Um, a lot of it I wrote down in journals and yeah. so, and I've kept those journals. And, and so, um, you know, it went for, you know, what's interesting about anorexics and I don't know if this is the same for bulimics, but when you are in the throes of the worst of it, your handwriting becomes extremely small, like minuscule small to the point where you almost can't read it. And it looks and very clean and precise, almost like it's newspaper print. Mm. And like you could, I, if you go back and read my journals, you can tell when the anorexia started and you can tell when I started to heal from it just by my handwriting. Wow. Um, by the time I was in the hospital and, and before 
my journaling was all about, my journaling was literally the voice of my eating disorder, just telling me how fat I was and how I needed to burn more calories and do 25 jumping jacks in, in the next two seconds, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, it was about halfway through my stay, all of a sudden I started writing about the feeling I had about um, a girl in the hospital with me and how I was annoyed by her. And like, it was the first time that I had, it was me talking hmm. in my journal. Wow. Um, and I, I do remember that one of the things that really helped me turn the corner was um, my best friend at the time, my childhood best friend brought me Lava M and Madame Butterfly on CD. And um, I was a musician before that. And I wanted to be on Broadway as a singer and performer after that. But when I heard those operas, which I'd heard them before, but it was like hearing them for the first time. And all of a sudden I was like, this is what I need. I want to do this. And then I thought to me, like, that was one of the first times that I actually had like a, a goal beyond starving. And um, one of the other memories that sticks out really, really um, brightly to me is the night after I was put in, I was put in on July 3rd. So July 4th, Independence Day, there were fire firecrackers going off, a fireworks display. It's my favorite. I love fireworks. I always had. And I remember feeling just a little burst of anger as I was in my bed staring at my window at these fireworks, thinking to myself, I will never miss another display again. I will never miss another. And, and not wanting to die, but like, I'm going to get better so I can go see the fireworks, you know. And I have ever since then. I've gone every display. So. Wow. <laughs> it's like you were thawing out. Um, yeah. And slowly but surely, all of these emotions kind of came. And you've really been well since yeah. then. And that's... That's really amazing. I mean, you, you... I've been well with the anorexia. With yeah, the anorexia, yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Let's take a quick <laughs> break for the weekly challenge. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you, and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, Mary Beth, what is our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is try to take a 20-minute nap each day this week during the day, or if you can't actually sleep, just rest. Even just close your eyes and just lay there. What have you discovered about sleep and napping and rest that that made you pick this as the challenge? So this is something that's more new for me. Um, it came in the last year when I was healing from being very ill physically for like two years straight. Um and part of the reason we discovered that I became so susceptible to all the infections I caught was because I was burning the candle at both ends and I was never letting myself rest. Um, it was almost like my coping mechanism switched from, you know, starving or drugs or whatever to just not sleeping and, you know, to, to trying to do everything, you know, as good as possible and get everything stuffed in. So when all this happened, I started working with a health coach and she was like, she and my doctors were all like, rest, you have to rest. And I literally spent a year 
resting, <laughs> like um, doing the, as minimal as possible to help my physical body heal. But in turn, it started it because I was resting and kind of restless at first I needed something to do. So I just started reading all of these healing books and healing the mind and healing trauma and all of this. And I just discovered so much and sleep is like the number one thing to, to rebuild your body and your mind so that it has energy again. And if you don't allow yourself time to rest, it will beat you down until you can no longer function. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Which you, if you don't, I hope people don't have to discover that on their own, but I sure have time and time yeah. again because I always forget. And yes. <laughs> I'm just like you, you know, I, I burn the candle at both ends. That's, that is one of my coping mechanisms. And that is one of the reasons why I ended up getting so sick in the first place because I, I have not, I have not rested in years, you know, like it yeah. took me, and one of the things I tell a lot of my clients is um, that when they first start getting well and they start having these good days, you know, because there's something when you're sick, you're sick, but then you start to get well and you, it's like you immediately forget you were ever sick and you start burning the candle at both ends again. So I tell them that no matter what, each day they have to set a timer in the middle of the day for an hour. And that is the number one thing on their to-do list. Rest for an hour midday. And if you're not sleeping, you're not sleeping, but you read a book because TV doesn't feel super restful to me. So I usually say to read a book so I love this 20 minutes is even more manageable you sit down and if you're not sleeping then you just read um and on that on the heels of that I'm wondering what three of your favorite books are resources for healing trauma oh okay so um specifically I was having a lot of just um recently because of some infections I caught and just the fact that I was my immune system has always been somewhat compromised and I couldn't figure out why. Um, even since I was young, I decided to read the mind gut connection by Emmerin Mayer, uh, who is an MD and it's, um, how the hidden conversation within our bodies impacts our mood, our choices and our overall health. And it talks about how there 90% of your immune system is actually in your gut and, you know, all these microbiomes that exist and, and all these things affect your mental stability, your mood, and and how you feel. Um, and so that was a very interesting book to read. It's it's a bit of a dry read because it's very like um, he's a doctor, so he's very <laughs> much like that. Right. Um, but he put some humor in there. But like for someone who's suffering from illness and like it's like an illness nobody can figure out, this is a wonderful book. Um, another book that I read was um, Bouncing, I'm, and I'm still, I'm not to- fully through it, but um Bouncing Forward, Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs. And this is by Michaela Haas, PhD. Um, And this is just talking about taking your traumas and viewing them not as like failures or or things that that happened to you that were brutal and awful and you can't ever heal from it. But, but, you know, viewing your traumas as something um, to as a lesson to learn from, which is so hard to do. Like I hard took me a while to wrap my head around it. <laughs> then I, I also was just kind of reading a couple things um, just about brain activity. So like um, at left brain, so like inner critic is huge for anorexics. Um, so at left brain, turn right. And this is by um, Anthony, I think it's Mendel or Mindel. 
Um, an uncommon path to shutting up your inner critic, giving fear the finger, and having an amazing life. <laughs> amazing. So. Great. Those are amazing. So you brought up two books, uh, Bouncing Forward, and which is also talked about in Cheryl Sandberg's book, Option B. And I love the bouncing forward. You don't bounce back, you bounce forward idea. And yeah. the mind-gut connection. Both of them make me think of you and some of the things you've done because you have bounced forward so many times. So you had your, your eating disorder and your interaction and you turned it into you have a series on YouTube right called the allergy actress where allergy actress cooking allergy yeah. actress cooking where you um, talk about cooking with with all of these allergies and you, these food allergies that you have and you make it really fun and enjoyable to cook so you turned that around for yourself you yeah. lost your operatic singing voice in uh, your operatic voice and your singing voice in a car accident but you turned yeah. it around and you became a voiceover artists and you do a whole bunch of voices you also ma are making your series um invisible invisible wounds based on all of these past traumas you have so you have consistently bounced forward and i just love that and i relate a lot yeah. to it and uh you with the mind gut connection it makes me think of your allergy actress cooking show yeah so do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, so allergy actress cooking um, was something that came up uh, a few years back. I think it was three years ago. Uh, just something that I was looking for a way as an actress to get myself onto YouTube. And my acting coach was like, well, what makes you stand out on set? And I was just like, my food allergies. <laughs> like, right. Um, because everyone's always like, oh, my God, you can't eat anything. And I'm mm -hmm. like, actually, I can. Um, mm -hmm. Let me teach you what I can eat. Um, and so I was just like, you know... I, everyone, because once I was diagnosed with food allergies, it took me, that was hard with being a recovered anorexic. That was so hard when my doctor handed me seven pieces of paper for major food allergies and listed all the foods I couldn't have. I went home to my kitchen and looked around and realized I could have nothing in my kitchen. And I just started, I just collapsed and like crying and for, for a period of several months, I ate broccoli and rice and, you know, was kind of moving back into that anorexic phase, but I was like fighting it. I was like, no, I'm not going to let this get me, you know? And so, um, so I, I started just researching because there is no like one place you can go to figure out your food allergies and have someone be like, this is what you have to do. Um, so I was like, I want to create something like that. So, and I'm a great cook and why don't I just do, yeah, I'm an actress, let's try this, you know? So it started with me and a camera in my kitchen. I am not a camera person. So, <laughs> and so right. it was like myself and my bloggy camera, um, with horrible camera anchors, ankles and, you know, horrible lighting and bad sound, but it was, it was something. And, you know, I sent out the first couple episodes and I had a woman contact my mother as a friend of my mother whose husband was dying of pancreatic cancer and whose daughter um, was mentally uh, disabled. And so her adult daughter, so she was caring for her mentally disabled adult daughter. Her husband was dying of pancreatic cancer and she herself had just been diagnosed with cancer. And she, so, I mean, hello, that's like, whoa. Um, and she called my mom and said, that episode, your daughter's show is the reason I felt like I could get out of bed today because she took something that was so detrimental and turned it around and made it joyful. And she's like, she's the reason I got out of bed today. And I was just like, Oh my God. And so when my mom told me that 
I was like, well, I have to do something with this. And so I brought on a camera person and an editor and then eventually a producer. And I eventually did a crowdfunding campaign for season two and made a bunch of fantastic episodes. And I started bringing on guests that were different healers. Um, you know, we would cook one of their favorite dishes and we'd modify it for my allergies. But they, you know, I had a biologist on that was talking about kinesthesia and how the molecules in the food affect your body in different ways. Um, I had a health coach come on who has um, Life Food Organic as her brand, and um, she's got a couple of restaurants out here, and she has she's written several books. She talked about the microbiomes and all of that. Um, I had another mom come on whose son was autistic and how doing the diet that's very similar to what I have um, with no soy, no corn, or sorry, no soy, no uh, gluten, wheat, no dairy has made all of the difference in the world for her son, you know, and... Um, it just was so amazing. I just kept having people come on that they were meant to be on the show as these guests and the topics that we covered. I mean, we had a show about anorexia and how it affects um, communities as a whole and, and especially women and transgender women and, and how it affects people. Amazing. Um, and, you know, so, so yeah, the show has been really cool. It's on hiatus right now until we can get more funding, but I'm hoping to do a season three. And what is so. your part? What are your particular <laughs> allergies? Ha, my allergies. So I have, um, I have like 21 registered allergies, but like sometimes with allergies, it's just like a sniff, you know, a sniffle. So, um, so my main allergies, uh, that I have horrific responses to, and I, I cannot eat the foods are soy, corn, wheat, uh, pretty much all dairy. I can have eggs, um, meats, all of them, Every single meat, um, all fish. So yeah, so that's pretty much what your what the show <laughs> avoids. Yes, yeah, amazing, and that's good for a lot of people like me that eat an anti-inflammatory diet. You know, for me, I yeah. don't eat I don't eat gluten, uh, any cow dairy, sugar, eggs, pork. Um, you know, soy definitely no soy or MSG. Right. No cor corn is best for me to stay away from. So that yep. that works for a lot of a lot of different groups of people. So that's so so great. I love it. I love it so much. And and you're definitely a soul sister. Um, yeah. What? Uh, where can people find you? Oh, okay. So um, they can find me at my website, www.marybetheversoul.com. Or um, if you want to look up my series, Invisible Wounds, that's about trauma, that is on Facebook right now under at I underscore the movie. Also on Instagram, same, um, I underscore the movie. And on Twitter, at I the movie and the number one. Um, and or you can look at the website um, ithemovie.org. The reason the movie because it was a movie when I first started it, so it's now the series. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, amazing. And so, guys, I'm just going to ask you. We're going to ask all the listeners to right now take a moment, open up your phone, and openly write about your own trauma with the hashtag Face Your Trauma. That's the hashtag, the movement that Mary Beth is starting. Face Your Trauma or Show Their Scar. Right, Mary Beth? Um, face Your Trauma or Heal Your Narrative. Heal Your Narrative. Okay, Heal yeah. Your Narrative or Face Your Trauma. So take out your phone put an awesome picture up write your trauma if you're too afraid and you want to be anonymous uh, dm me or mary beth and we will write about it it's so this is such important work and we're you know mary beth is trying to 
break the taboo and Mm -hmm. change the stigma. And it's a really big deal. And that's what we do on this show. So get behind it, guys. And Mary Beth, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Jackie. This was great. I'm glad I got to share. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at JackieShay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through JackieShay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.